and welcome to today's webinar on what the talent really wants in 2022 with Alexander Daniels Global, 3dprint.com and Smart Tech Analysis. My name is Sophie. I am the digital marketer at Alexander Daniels Global and I am joined today with my colleague Loxley Graham, who is the head of Europe and rest of world at ADG and also Michael Molichho who is the Editor-in-Chief at 3dprint.com and Smart Tech Analysis. So today's webinar is going to be based on the data from the 2022 AM Salary Survey report from Alexander Daniels Global and also two of the latest data service reports from Smart Tech Analysis. So while we're waiting for people to join, I'm just going to go ahead and take everyone through um, some basic housekeeping. So as you'll have noticed, your uh, cameras and microphones will be off throughout the webinar, uh, but don't let that discourage you from using the chat feature. Uh, I will be your moderator today, which means that it's my job to keep an eye on any comments or questions that you drop into the chat, um, and I'll try and feed those into the conversation that we have with Loxley and Michael. Um, this webinar is now being recorded, and um, a copy of that will be sent to registrants um, after the event. And it'll also be shared as a podcast episode at a later date. So on today's agenda, today we're going to be going over the intentions of talent to change jobs in 2022. We're also going to talk a little bit about how you can uh, use the data that we're sharing to attract top talent to your organization. And those two points will be covered by Loxley. Then we're going to hand over to Michael, who's going to go over some smart tech market data um, and tell us how that can inform us about where to hunt for jobs this year uh, and going forward as well. And then we're going to hand back over to Loxley after that, who's going to go through some tips for managing salary expectations and also for negotiating compensation packages in the AM industry. So without uh, further ado, I'll hand over to Loxley, who's going to get us started on the intentions of talent to change jobs in 2022. Thank you, Sophie. Um, so first of all, just to look at the some of the data coming out of the report from Alexander Daniels Global. Uh, each year we run a salary survey that really focuses on and tries to understand some of the different data points from candidates from a salary perspective. We also host a talent market white paper that also investigates some of the different likelihoods for different candidates and also employers to look at making transitions or changes in their careers. Um, one of the questions that we have recently asked was how likely are AM professionals to change jobs in 2022? Um, as you can see from the slide here, there's been a 1% decrease in respondents who are very likely or extremely likely to change jobs. Uh, the number is down from 50% in 2020. People are opting to stay in their jobs to, due to uncertainties of changing jobs in a recovering economy. And others may have just recently changed jobs in the last 12 months. Um, in contrast, there has been a 2% increase in respondents who are unlikely or extremely unlikely to change jobs now. Just to elaborate on that a little further, I think some of the key reasons behind this and some of the things that we have observed through the conversations that we have held with candidates alongside some of the discussions that we've held there with companies that we are working with is that 
Um, the pandemic has definitely made an impact on people's intentions to move roles. The uncertainty that we have seen through uh, the pandemic, the uncertainty that, that we have seen there for people to relocate and then be able to easily get back home if there is ever a crisis or an emergency has really came to more of the forefront of people's thinking. And so as a result of that, we are seeing now people less likely to be willing to make that move. Um, of course, it's perhaps not as much of a decrease as we may have initially expected, but there definitely has been an impact as a result of the pandemic and also some changes in the market as well that have resulted in people being less likely to make a move at this time. Uh, the next slide, as you can see here, is talking about the likelihood of talent to change jobs. Um, again, just to talk a little bit about what's on the slide here, since 2018, there has been a year-on-year -year increase in talent identifying themselves as extremely likely to change jobs, uh, overtaking those who only feel likely to change jobs, meaning that there is a growing certainty among talent to, to consider this. Um, equally, in the unlikely category, there has been a decrease in respondents identifying themselves as such, likely identifying more strongly as one of the other categories there. Again, to go into this, I think when we look at this now and when we start looking more into the future here, um, previously there has always been that increase to be willing to move. I think as a result of the technology growing, as the adoption rate happens, as you see end user adopters also look more into the technology, there certainly has been always that willingness and more likeliness to, to transition and move into roles there. Um, of course, as a result of the pandemic and other things hitting recently, that has of course changed and impacted this. But ultimately, I think there has always been that trend and that transition to look at changing roles. Um, and hopefully that will continue to happen as we move forward here. So moving forward then into some of the top in-demand roles in 2022, um, AM professionals who belong to these disciplines may find it easier to find work over the next 12 months. Um, this year, sales has overtaken R&D as the top in-demand discipline in the AM industry. This comes as the industry picked up as we emerged on the other side of COVID. Um, the roles have evolved to involve both commercial and technical elements now. So just to talk a bit more about these particular data points, as you can see, sales is now really one of the main areas in demand there for professionals there to find it easier to find opportunities. One of the main reasons for this is the transition now from what sales used to be viewed as, which was purely a commercial transaction, people who would be more of hunters or farmers going out to either find business or tend to the markets that existed there, and the role evolving more into including more of the technical aspects of perhaps applications or technical sales there, which is definitely much more focused on collaborating and talking more with the engineering teams, with the decision makers there around technology and, and adoption of technology within organisations. And so as a result of that, what a salesperson means to organisations generally has shifted and transitioned into being more of a technical consultant, somebody who can really understand the needs of the customer and be able to advise appropriately related to that.
With that being said, we aren't really seeing any major decrease in the demand around areas like R&D, like applications and consulting and service. And I think this is really reflective of where AM is now starting to move more into, which is a much more mature technology that requires that further infrastructure to be able to support customers and be in a position to be able to offer them not only the initial sort of bid and conversation, but then the understanding of how this technology can benefit them, the research and development into what is really needed. So providing a solution to a problem as opposed to trying to find a, a problem for a solution. Uh, and ultimately there, there is the need to be able to service, maintain and, and keep these machines up and running there within facilities. And then going into the, the final point here, what does the talent want in 2022? Uh, in the 2022 AM salary survey report, the AM professionals highlighted career progression as the biggest motivator for changing jobs. This shows us that talent perhaps feels there isn't enough opportunity for internal career progression or that they may be desiring a new challenge in a new workplace. Um, salary is no longer the number one motivator for talent, although, as you can see, it is still definitely up there. Um, career progression definitely is becoming more to the forefront of people's minds. I think the, one of the main reasons that we see this is, again, the maturity and the adoption of the technology, the need for people to be able to lead from the front, to be able to advise how this technology can be utilised better. And also, perhaps more importantly, some of the mistakes previously made in the past in terms of where adoption happens, what technology needs to be adopted for a company to be successful, what solutions realistically integrate into the vertical markets that you are focused on. I think people understand and see the need for the transition from the shop floor into mid-management into senior management there is really required. So career progression really does become more of a driving factor for people. Um, I think perhaps one of the reasons why salary isn't as, as much of a motivator as it was previously is that the salary within AM or the salary, sorry, within AM have definitely became a lot more normalised, although we still have a, a long way to go. I think that people realise and understand what expectations they can have in the market, whether that would be geographically or related to the discipline that they are focused on. And so there perhaps isn't that same demand and need to see an increase in salary if you already understand that you're within the salary range for where you are at your current level. And that is where I believe then career progression becomes more of a driving factor because ultimately career progression will then really result in increasing salary in most instances. Uh, and then also as well, for, sorry, um, a changing perspective here. So in 2021, more respondents identified that they value the work-life balance as a motivator for changing jobs, with this motivator seeing a 15% increase uh, in importance in 2021. Similarly, for work environment culture, uh, this motivator has seen an impressive increase in importance, namely by 32% on the previous year, with many organisations initially struggling to adjust to the shift in home working, we now see professionals wanting to ensure that their workplace is positive and inspiring. Um, I think, again, and as I've mentioned before, and I think will be a running theme in certain instances for this webinar, the pandemic has definitely changed the focus for people and some of the motivations that they will have 
that work-life balance, being able to spend more time at home, being more involved in home, especially after the exposure of having that for around 18 months to 24 months for people, having to balance sort of having small children whilst hosting webinars like this one. I think you understand and you start to really view the importance of having that time at home and also being able to mitigate those challenges and handle those in the same way you would if you're sat in an office and you have colleagues who are having lunch or talking in the same way. So the, the barriers that you would have had previously to working from home are no longer necessarily there. The importance of seeing family being able to view what is happening at home becomes more apparent to people. And then having that culture, people thinking very similarly to you, people sharing those same sort of approaches, those same ambitions, those same motivations also becomes very important. Because if you're working for an organisation that perhaps does not share the same enthusiasm for being at home, or alternatively, the same enthusiasm for being in the office, collaborating together, that can be something that can be a real detractor from your own ability to progress, from your own ability to deliver at work. So it, it definitely makes a lot of sense as to where these factors become more important uh, and a very clear result, uh, a clear indicator as to where this comes from. Great, thank you so much, Loxley. I've, it just sparks a little bit of a question for me though. So mm -hmm. from all this data that we've just gone through, Yes. I'm now wondering what advice would you give then in terms of uh, using this data to attract talent to an organization if this is what the talent really wants and what they've said that they value through the, yeah. the survey report that we've released how would you use this to to give advice on um, to an employer for example on how they can attract talent to their organization a oh, great question Sophie I think um a couple of things that would spring to mind immediately related to that. One would be looking at the motivators for potential candidates joining your business. I believe that it makes it a lot easier to be able to build up a proposition that will appeal to the type of talent that you want to attract to your business. And I think that's really important to reflect on and to acknowledge that for some people having a business that is you know, predominantly based from home works very well. For some organisations, having a team that is very much focused on being in the office also is, is a real important factor. So being able to build your business in a way that offers and attracts that talent to your organisation, perhaps it is having more holiday so that even if you are in the office, you get more time away at home. If it is being able to have that flexibility to join uh, team meetings through communication devices like Teams, like Zoom, like other programs that exist out there. Um, it makes sense to be able to offer those solutions to different to, uh, different potential employers. Um, on top of that, I think when you look at some of the additional factors there, career progression, being able to outline to candidates a clear progression plan, being able to demonstrate to them how they can see themselves moving from engineer to senior engineer to manager to director, having that clear progression plan, being realistic in the prospects of people being able to do that will enable you to not only attract talent, but also retain it as you go forward as well. So they'd be just one or two ways that I would look to try and utilise this data to be able to focus on how you'd be able to attract talent moving forward. Perfect, thank you. So I find it really interesting to see how the kind of employment landscape has really changed over the last few years. But yeah, no, those are some great points. Thank you. Great. Okay, so 
now we're going to move on to the next segment. So we're going to be introducing Michael into the conversation. Uh, he's going to be taking us through some of the smart, smart tech market data, excuse me. Um, so hi, Michael, would you like to uh, tell us a little bit about the data that you're about to take us through and um, tell us about uh, how that data has actually come to be? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so uh, smart tech analysis, which is uh, the leading additive manufacturing uh, market research firm um, every year, or I guess uh, every quarter, we update the data that we use uh, for our research reports and our data services. And so, um, you know, we've got, a, a, you know, a pretty extensive set of data um, we collect. We collect information related to, you know, hardware sales, software sales, materials um you know it spans pretty much any category you can think of in 3d printing so like uh with the data services report uh people can either subscribe to a quarterly uh data um report that has everything like uh how much material was shipped uh in a certain industry uh so like it'll say you know how many kilograms of copper were shipped in Q1 uh, of 2021 or something like that. And um, so people can either subscribe to it as like a quarterly report or they can uh, purchase it on an as needed basis. Um, and so they're broken down into the core metal um, 3D printing report and the core polymer uh, report, um, or you can buy both of them um, and, or you can work with the company um, with SmartTech to get just the data you need. Um, but then we also re do uh, regular reports on specific segments. So I wrote a report on copper, which is why that came to mind. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, so this data we collect, it spans almost everything. Um, and as we were talking with the ADG team, we realized that, you know, if you look at the growth of different sectors um, in the industry, it might help us anticipate where jobs are going to take place. So uh, we started looking at the um, compound annual growth rate of different areas in the industry, which normally people might uh, use this data to sort of anticipate uh, where they're gonna see the most sales or something like that in a technology segment. Um, you know, uh, a company like Stratasys or something could, could purchase it to see, you know, where inkjet 3D printing is heading in terms of revenues and material sales. Uh, but we decided maybe we could use this data to determine where the talent could go. Um, and so that's what I'm here to talk about today. Perfect. So I'm just going to actually drop a link into the chat. So uh, if for those of the listeners who are interested, they can actually go to the Smart Tech uh, website and, and see more about those reports. So I'm just going to drop that into the chat now. Okay, Thanks. perfect. Thanks. Back to you, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so this uh, first chart is just a general uh, overview of the revenues um, that we've uh, both collected um, historically and um, uh, what's projected into the future for 2030. So uh, according to Smart Tech, um, in the year 2021, the 3D printing industry was worth about $10.6 billion in revenues, and they're anticipating that steady uh, upward trend in growth. Uh, to reach about $50 billion by uh, 2030. Um, and so there's a lot of growth that happened there, but we're seeing the actual growth play out. Anybody who's been to trade shows or 
uh, been involved in the industry can see this is, uh, you know, probably pretty dead on. Um, and then, uh, so while they're collecting all this data, that's when um, they're able to break down the data into different segments. So um, like the copper uh, I talked about, or, you know, uh, what verticals are adopting uh, the technology. And so the first uh, uh, way we're gonna apply the data today is in the vertical. So if we talk about um, the different sectors that are adopting 3D printing, um, we can see how different industries are adopting the technology at different rates. Um, and that way we can sort of anticipate where the growth is gonna happen and where the jobs are gonna be. Uh, so if you look at this chart here, um, you can see that energy is the fastest growing at 21.4%. And uh, that's for a few different reasons. Um, one of the main reasons is that uh, oil and gas has been slower to adopt the technology. Aerospace, um, which you see is uh, the second slowest growing is 17.9% sort of helped create additive manufacturing as a production technology. So they were pretty fast to adopt it. Um, but meanwhile, oil and gas sort of sat back and watched the industry mature. Um, and they have similar standards to aerospace, but also completely different. Um, and so that standardization process is a long and difficult one. And now we're starting to see the fruits of that standardization started uh, um, pick up, uh, or I guess uh, play out fruits, fruits, uh, <laughs> I guess, develop, I don't know. But so uh, the oil and gas industry is finally starting to adopt the technology, a lot of times for spare parts. Um, so that's one reason. And then also uh, the need uh, to shift uh, to renewables is gonna be another important factor there. Um, so we're not only seeing oil and gas adopting the technology, but we're seeing uh, like, uh, nuclear uh, power uh, is starting to use 3D printing a lot more. Um, and then also renewables like uh, uh, wind turbines. Um, we've got a couple pretty important uh, use cases there like GE has just opened the world's largest concrete 3D printing facility and they're gonna use that to research and develop um, uh, concrete 3D printing for wind turbine bases. Um, uh, and so I guess the point here is, you know, either if you came from one of these sectors already, you know, you might not be involved in 3D printing in the first place, but you're looking for work in a growing industry, um, you could, you know, try to uh, anticipate where this, these jobs are going to happen. So you might be somebody who's already working in energy um, and you could try to push for the growth of additive in that sector or look for jobs uh, where, you know, the where a wind turbine company, for instance, uh, might be, starting to adopt 3D printing, you could look for work there. Um, and similarly, uh, we're seeing that dental is having the slowest growth. Uh, so uh, if your background was previously in dental, you might think about pivoting to medical or something similar where your knowledge of the materials might play a part or your knowledge of um, regulations might play a part. Uh, or your just general background, depending on where you are in your career. So if you're fresh out of college, uh, here's a good chance to sort of align yourself with one of these verticals. Um, if you're in the market for, if you've been in the job market for a while, um, you can try to um, strategize how you might either uh, use your background from one of these verticals uh, or your passion for one of these verticals to get into the AM sector that way. Um, and so, uh, oh, I, I didn't exactly say why dental is the slowest, but it's 
one thing I wanted to mention quickly, and that's just because uh, uh, it's already used 3D printing for quite a while now. It's one of the most saturated uh, verticals for 3D printing um, with invisible aligners and other components. I guess they don't call them components, but, uh, you know, <laughs> now I can't even remember what they call them. But uh, uh, that's probably the reason why it's the slowest. Um, but let's uh, jump into the next uh, area that we wanted to talk about, unless Lockley wanted to weigh in for any reason, um, or Sophie. Uh, so we were going to then apply our numbers um, to job growth in certain regions of the world. Um, and so you can see, looking at this, that um, a lot of uh, you know North America and Europe, for instance, are sort of uh, there's not a, a lot of variation among all of these different um, areas of the world, but if you combine the Asia Pacific region and uh, greater China, uh, you see like tremendous growth there. Um, and uh, I mean, that plays out in what we see in the industry. Uh, there's a lot of um, Chinese and Korean and Japanese companies that are really sort of starting to explode in terms of uh, their participation in the market. Um, and they're starting to grow beyond their national borders a lot. So, um, you know, there's some companies like Farsoon that does metal and polymer uh, sintering. Uh, they're starting to become competitive with some of the established German and North American players. And as that happens, um, depending on where you are located, uh, you might be an ideal candidate for uh, uh, participating as like a sales or marketing person, um, or even if they start opening offices in uh, North America and Europe, you could, uh, you know, get a, a role in one of their new offices uh, as a, an admis administrative person or anything, basically, as they grow, they're going to want to have um, personnel in the markets that they're trying to serve. Um, so that's, I think, particularly true for uh, Asia Pacific and the greater China region. Um, and that could even be uh, important as we move into more remote work, uh, like Loxley was uh, discussing. Uh, they might not necessarily need somebody on the ground uh, in, you know, a Shanghai headquarters. They might just want somebody uh, to work remotely and do sales in North America or something like that. So I think uh, as the, the job market shifts with COVID, uh, there might be way more opportunities than you previously would have thought um, in terms of remote versus on the ground work. It's interesting. I think the key thing here is actually that in the Asian Pacific markets and in the greater China area as well, the thing that they really value in terms of uh, creating remote job opportunities is English language skills, isn't it? That's why there would be so many more, you know, uh, job opportunities opening up remotely for um, people within Europe and also within North America in the APAC region. Yeah, and thanks for catching that uh, second bullet point. I just started uh, going off. Uh, but um, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and I mean, as they go into Europe, there's probably going to, they're going to want representatives for the different languages there too. Uh, so I would, I would think Germany in particular, uh, probably France too. Perfect. Um, and then, uh, so the final set of data we were looking at is the growth by technology segment, which is sort of a more interesting, more nuanced uh, way of looking at the job market. Um, because uh, 
we're talking about sort of technologies that are growing, not like regions and uh, verticals. Of, uh, so um, you can see here that like uh, uh, plastic extrusion um, and non-metal binder jetting and material jetting are the slowest growing technologies here. Um, and in the case of plastic extrusion, that's because it's the most saturated technology on the market um, with desktop 3D printers and Stratasys machines already heavily dominating um, the market. Uh, and then with the other two technologies, it's because they're mostly useful for prototyping and um, uh, model making. Um, and so then we see that the, the highest growth is happening with the bound metal segment, which includes metal binder, binder jetting and bound metal deposition or uh, bound metal extrusion. Um, and so there's a lot of excitement about that segment in particular partially because of the low cost of much of the technology and the high throughput that can be achieved with um, metal binder jetting. Um, but as I was discussing with the ADG team um, prior to the webinar, uh, you can bring over, actually Loxley pointed this out, you can bring over um, your expertise from something like, you know, if you're in the metal injection molding market, which is uh, what plays a, a big influence in the bound metal segment, um, you know, you might already have experience there that you could bring over to this uh, growing additive space. Um, additionally, uh, you might have familiarity with plastic extrusion, um, which is uh, sort of the basis technology for bound metal extrusion. Um, and so you could uh, use your experience with, you know, an Ultimaker 3D printer or Stratasys machine and apply that knowledge to the segment. And so as these, uh, technologies pick up steam, uh, you would be able to sort of um, squeeze your way into those areas um, using your experience there. Uh, besides that, um, like the way that you might use this data would be sort of just to educate yourself on the different technologies so that you could, you know, learn as much as you can about them in order to position yourself as a candidate for uh, a company that's adopting one of these technologies. Um, which is increasing all the time, as we see here. Um, there's not a huge amount of education out there, educational resources out there for this stuff. There's tons of webinars um, and there's some textbooks and journal articles, but I think this is sort of where uh, the data can't quite uh, meet the uh, needs of the world out there because in addition to data, we need educational resources. So you can only go so far with knowing where the industry is going you have to figure out how to educate yourself next. And to me, that's a huge um, business opportunity there. Uh, uh, there's tons of um, potential for somebody who wants to create educational resources for businesses, for training, uh, for, uh, you know, uh, I guess, white papers and things like that, that job candidates and more could use to educate themselves and businesses could use to educate themselves. Uh, and that's about all that I had planned on saying. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. That's uh, been really informative and you can tell, well, maybe you can't, but we can tell, we know that we've had a really uh, few interesting conversations based around this data uh, when we were putting this webinar together. And uh, so, yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, it's really added a different dimension to um, kind of the data that we have through the salary survey and, and using that information to let the people know what to do about job hunting and recruiting uh, going forward. So thanks for that.
perfect. So now we're going to hand back over to Loxley. He's going to go through um, some tips for managing salary expectations and also for negotiating compensation packages. So you're going to get all the top tips from the perspective of your favorite specialist recruiters in AM. Okay, back to you, Loxley. Uh, take it away. It's a lovely introduction there, Sophie, to this part. Thank you. So um, going into that. So first of all, tip one, uh, look at the discipline, not the industry. As the slide states here, don't just compare your advertised salary to other salaries in the same industry. Salaries for different roles in other industries may be different. Um, think about how you are going to position the opportunity. How will your salary, how will your salary compare with other industries? The, the main point that I'm looking to make here, or the main point that we are looking to make here, is that ultimately you have to look at what this person will be doing and not necessarily the sector that it falls within. One of the key or one of the one of the points that I would make related to this is, for example, in the aerospace industry, you will have a standard salary for certain roles that are generally unionized in that case. Um, that can then make it very difficult to be able to attract talent into those businesses because of the fact that you are limited by the wider pay structure. In some cases, you need to look outside of this, though, and focus more on the specific discipline, the, the specific role that this person will be doing and how that would then compare across the piece. Um, ultimately, when you are thinking about salary, you have to look at, OK, well, within this industry, this perhaps will be a very high salary. However, for somebody doing this role in a machine OEM or for an adopter or a service bureau, this salary actually would fall quite below there. And so these are things that you have to really take into consideration when you're putting this and proposing this to candidates to avoid obviously disappointing disappointment in being able to attract them into the team. Um, the second tip there, think beyond salary, what can you offer? Um, and I think this also leads back into some of the data points that we were talking about earlier about that work-life balance, about career progression. Um, and, and just to go into the slide, it's just as important for you to sell the role to the candidate with an attractive uh, price tag, but it can also go beyond that. Consider how being clear about opportunities for progression and future emerging capabilities can help you manage salary expectations. By that, again, what we're talking about, have that clear progression plan in place, be able to talk to candidates about this. Think about the wider things that you could offer somebody, whether that would be training, whether that would be additional social events. Think about the sort of people that you want to bring into your organization, the cultural, the culture that you want to build within that business and what can be offered in relation to that. Salary is something that is very important for people, but especially when you look at places like the United States, that wider benefits package also is very important. Being able to offer those additional benefits and the things that will really make the difference between somebody being able to accept your offer or having to turn it down due to family reasons. Um, and a good example of this is um, what, when we're talking about progression, would be the movement from an engineer through to a senior engineer. So as you can see here, uh, interviewing a candidate whose salary expectation is around 45K, you aren't planning to offer more than 42K for the role. So we're talking about a 3K difference, which from an employer's perspective may not seem to be too much, but from an employee's perspective could be the difference being, between being able to buy a house or not. 
um, and then being able to design a progression plan to get them to a senior engineer that would see them be able to increase their salary expectations above where it currently would sit with only a short-term drop in salary. So how this could work is that you can bring somebody in with the promises of a mover within the organization, giving them the opportunity to set clear targets to be able to say, if these targets are able to be achieved, we can then offer this salary. That can be the way in which you bring somebody on board. And if they have the right motivations, if they see the prospects within the role and they see the ability to be able to move forward with the opportunity, this could be the difference between securing them for your organization or them joining somebody else. Uh, and then tip three, is it worth bulking out salary with benefits? As I I've, have touched on previously in the, in the former slide there, benefits can vary from workplace to workplace and may be difficult to match. Therefore, it's worth differentiating yours, thinking about offering AM-specific benefits, such as offering opportunities for upskilling your team through AM-specific courses. There are other ways that you could look to offer sort of additional benefits there. If you're a printer OEM, dependent on the price point, and I do very much appreciate this, it could be that you give people access to a machine or maybe certain hours working with a machine there for personal projects and focus. Um, that could be one way that you attract people into the organisation. It could be that you think about and you look at, well, the standard sort of 401k, what could you offer in comparison to that? Healthcare benefits, what could you offer related to that? Are there certain things for the culture of the business that you want to build that would make more sense? For example, if you have uh, a community that's very much focused on design and optimization in those areas, maybe having a, a, a part of the facility which is focused on gaming, for example, could be something that really appeals to people and could be the thing that attract someone to your business as opposed to going elsewhere. Um, some organizations have a strong cycling community, for example. There are a number of things that you can use if that is the sort of culture that you want to build within your business that you can then offer those specific benefits so that not only are you able to retain those people, but attract very similar minded people into the business as you go forward. Great. OK, let's go ahead and talk about some tips for negotiating compensation packages. So we've just covered a little bit to help out the uh, hiring managers. Let's help out yes. the, the job seekers now. Definitely. So tip one, be mindful of the cost of living where you will be. Uh, if you are relocating for a role, what will your new cost of living be in that area? Will it be more or less than now? Um, and a very key point, don't negotiate on a figure that is not relevant to your situation. So just to build on those two points a little bit further, um, when relocating, something that can be in some cases overlooked until the final stages of a conversation will be, well, how much will it cost me to live there? Um, I'm, I'm sure anybody who is in this webinar who's from the United States will be able to see a major differential, for example, from, say, the Bay Area to anywhere on the East Coast, realistically. Um, and so as a result of that, you have to be mindful when talking to a company, what will be the percentage difference in cost of living? And it's more than just sort of rent there or, of course, mortgages or accommodation. You're talking about your cost of food, the cost of going out, the cost of the activities and the social life that you would like to uphold. These are all factors that very much play into making the decision, negotiating the salary and being able to make that transition. 
on the flip side of that, it is always being worthwhile being mindful that if your cost of living is going to reduce substantially, maybe it's worthwhile looking at taking a slightly lower salary to get more opportunity to yourself in the future. And that's what we talk a bit more about when we're saying don't negotiate on a figure that's not irrelevant to the situation. Um, we've had a, a recent scenario where we had a, an organisation in northern Spain the cost of living there would be substantially lower than, for example, somebody based in Germany. And so it's very important to reflect on that when you're talking about salary going into an organisation. Somebody that is at a current level right now could see quite a substantial increase in responsibility. And whilst on paper it would be seen that they aren't seeing a major increase in salary, in fact, when you look at the cost of living, that may not necessarily be the case. So always be mindful of the wider situation and ultimately how much it's going to cost for you to have the standard of living that makes you happy. Yeah, I guess uh, just a relevant personal experience is one time uh, before I had this role, I applied for a job in Europe uh, and uh, my salary expectations were much higher than they were willing to offer because the social safety net in Belgium was way uh, stronger than it is in the United States. And yeah. so we, we couldn't really see, actually that happened to me twice. And we mm -hmm. just couldn't really see eye to eye about it because it, coming from the US, it's hard to even anticipate, like do the calculations to know what the cost of living will really be like um, in another country like Belgium or Germany. Yeah. And there are websites that help with this. That There aren't any that I would want to specifically suggest that people use. But of course, there are a number of different sites out there that will give you a rough estimation of the cost from, say, Detroit to Antwerp or from, um, you know, from Stuttgart to Paris. There are websites that can give you that insight and help to give you some guidance related to that. But no, Michael, that was a, a fantastic example of what we're talking about here. Um, and also something that I think employers need to reflect on when you're talking to people about that, because what may be a norm for you to have that social safety net would not be necessarily the norm for yourself there. And at least being mindful of that and acknowledging that in the negotiation is something that will go a long way for, for potential uh, candidates there. Um, so sorry, uh, tip two was knowing your value. Consider how, value, how valuable you are. Is your discipline or skill set in high demand? Do you have transferable skills that would make you an asset to the business you're interviewing at? Based on this, are you able to ask for a higher or lower figure? So Michael made a, a very good point related to this when we were talking earlier about the transferable skills, say, for example, metal injection molding into binder jetting there. Having that past experience in some interviews can be completely irrelevant. In others could be the difference between you being the number one candidate that they will go above and beyond to bring on board. Um, when you're also looking at this as well, you have to think about, well, how how relevant is my skill? How, how valuable will this be to the organisation? If you for the past five years have been working on, say, I don't know, 3D printing uh, satellite antennas and equipment there for the space industry, you can probably expect that you'll be more in demand than somebody who was doing that purely in aerospace because of the specific focus of the work that you had and how you will then be able to very quickly and easily take on a number of new challenges. So being able to be mindful of that can be very powerful and very helpful in the negotiation when you're talking about taking on a new role. 
And as a result of that, could you ask for more money or would it perhaps be more mindful to ask for a slightly lower salary to be able to go in, prove yourself and be able to demonstrate the skills that you have? Because the transferable skills that you may be referring to could be several years out of date. And although you may have done the work that the uh, potential employer is looking for, you have to be mindful as to how relevant that would be. So again, look at the wider skills there, look at what you really bring to the table and ultimately ask yourself, is this going to be in demand for the company or perhaps is there going to be more of a need for me to demonstrate my capability and ability before I can expect that higher salary? Um, and then tip three, what do you actually need? You know, what figure is most likely to motivate you? I, I, as a recruiter and as somebody who speaks to a number of different candidates very regularly, I, I generally will hear people say, well, I've spoken to X person at Y company and they told me they get Z amount. I've looked at this survey, I've looked at the Alexander Daniels Global Salary Survey, which is a very, very good insight to salaries within the industry, and it advised that I looked for this sort of salary here. And what I always ask people is to realistically reflect on what is your cost of living? What do you need to make you happy? Because ultimately, earning more or earning the same as somebody else is always great. But ultimately, you're not living their life and they are not living yours. You have certain bills you need to pay. You have a standard of living that you want to maintain or that you want to improve on. And how do you go about doing that? And it's always worthwhile really reflecting on that and understanding what motivates you. Yes, you want parity in the industries that you work in. Yes, you want equality in terms of the pay grades that you're working at and for the level of a skill and experience that you have as well. But ensure that the salary that you're looking for is for you and not for what you believe should be paid within the wider industry. Because if you're happy with a salary and you're going to have a fantastic standard of living and you and your wider family will really benefit for that, negotiating for that extra 5K, which will be swallowed up in tax, sometimes isn't worth it is what I would suggest. So be very mindful of what you need. And in some cases, you may need to ask for more to get that standard of living and ensure you're able to really voice and quantify why that is. I think the important thing to think about here is, uh, as Loxley, you've said to me many a time, it's very easy to uh, increase your cost and standard of living, but it's very, very difficult to take a step back and decrease it. Definitely. I'm glad you added that point in there. So yeah, thanks. I think it's very important because before you mentioned it to me the first time when you put it into those words, I, I didn't think of it like this. But it's very, very true. I mean, once you start living in a certain way, it's very difficult to live in a different way. I mean, if you want to take talking about taking a step back, you know. Yeah. Although uh, being able to lower your cost of living is probably better for the environment overall. Uh, that, that's true. Very true. Very true. So um, and then just one final bonus tip here from ourselves there is if in doubt, get in touch with a recruiter like me. Um, obviously, research the recruiters in the industry, start a conversation directly via LinkedIn or email and see what advice and experience recruiter can give you on your unique situation. Um, obviously, there are people like myself, but there are very industry specific recruiters in different industries. There are other AM recruiters as well. Um, and I would always advise reaching out to speaking to people, really getting an understanding for what is available to you um, and ultimately 
definitely use that to help you make an informed decision because that's what my role is and that's what the role of recruiters is, is to help people to make informed decisions and, and ultimately to make the best decision for you, not the best decision for us. So always speak to people like ourselves, listen to what advice we can offer and then utilise that to make your own decision would be the advice that I always give related to that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Loxley. I think those were some excellent points. Um, and also, I think that it's an issue, you know, negotiating compensation packages and salaries. It's an issue that's not in, talked about enough. Uh, I think people, they hear whispers down through the grapevine on how to deal with those situations, but it's never really confronted uh, face, face on like this, you know, enough. So uh, yeah, thank you for sharing those tips there. Okay, so that's brings us to the end of today's webinar. I'd like to thank everyone who was able to join us live. Um, and I'd like to, thanks for the applause there I see at the bottom. <laughs> and I'd like to thank as well, Michael and Loxley uh, for your fantastic insights um, and for your time uh, that you've given this uh, afternoon in, in Europe and morning in US. Um, so now's the time as well. If you have any burning questions that you'd like to put to Loxley or Michael, um, you can drop those into the chat. Uh, and while you're typing those, I'll just go over a few ways that you can stay in touch with either 3dprint.com and Smartech or Alexander Daniels Global. So you'll find Smartech and 3dprint.com on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, so you can also stay in touch with them, um, specifically with Smartech. If you'd like to learn more about their 3D printing data analysis and consulting, you can inquire at uh, the email address info at smarttechpublishing.com. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with the latest 3D print uh, news and sign up for 3dprint.com's newsletter, you can do that at 3dprint.com forward slash newsletter. And if you have any specific 3D printing news or tips that you would like uh, to be published in 3dprint.com's um, media website, uh, you can get in touch with them there at digest at 3dprint.com. So uh, as has been mentioned throughout today's webinar, uh, they offer as well uh, two specific reports, the Core Metal Additive Manufacturing Service Report and the Core Polymer Additive Manufacturing Service Report, which uh, has uh, they've used to create the data for today's webinar. And then looking at um, alexanderdanielsglobal.com, uh, you can keep in touch with us through LinkedIn, Twitter, and on YouTube. And in terms of uh, newsletters, uh, we offer a monthly talent market and hot candidate update newsletter. So that's specifically aimed for employers, hiring managers who would like to get an insight into what's going on in the talent market in regional hotspots each month. Uh, and also to receive two to three hot candidate profiles straight to your inbox so you can get the hottest candidates in the industry right in front of you. Having said that, if you would like to be featured as a hot candidate uh, in our newsletter to our employer contacts, you can get in touch with me at sophie.pontopidan at alexanderdanielsglobal.com. Uh, I know that name is a mouthful, so you can also find me on LinkedIn and on the Alexander Daniels Global website if you'd like to get in touch about being featured as a hot candidate. So um, in terms of resources from alexanderdanielsglobal.com, um, we obviously have the AM salary survey report, which uh, our data from today's webinar has been based on. 
it's a free download. If you haven't downloaded it already, I highly recommend to go ahead and visit our website and get your free copy today. Also, I'd like to invite you to our next webinar, which will be on the gap in DEI in the AM workplace. So that's the gap in diversity, equity and inclusion in the AM workplace. Um, the details of that are still being ironed out, but if you head to our website again, you can find that uh, a dedicated page on there about that. So you can get an idea of what we're going to be talking about in the next upcoming webinar. Okay, and I can see no questions have come in, which means we must have done an excellent job in covering all the bases. So thank you very much for joining us and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to a webinar from Alexander Daniels Global, your expert recruiters in additive manufacturing. Find us online at alexanderdanielsglobal.com, on LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube. See you next time.